Bienvenidos, uh, Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Bienvenido a Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Bienvenue, uh, Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Today I interviewed John Fine. John is the managing partner at Firebrand VC. Uh, he was previously a Techstars managing director. Uh, he's ran multi-billion projects. Uh, and he lives in Kansas City. And I really, really enjoyed this conversation I had with him because uh, John is also a fan of questions. Uh, he doesn't talk so much about having answers, but he really has this insightful way of inquiring into the nature of reality. Um, and he deals a lot with technology, so it's technology from reality from the aspect of technology. Um, it's become clear to me in my life that the people I want to surround myself with are not the ones who have a lot of answers. Uh, they're the ones who have a lot of questions and can ask me the right questions at the right time that would bring something out in me that I I wouldn't figure out how to bring out in myself. And John is definitely one of those people. Uh, we got into a lot of stuff today, and I really hope you find this episode particularly interesting and insightful. If you do, please find us on iTunes by searching for Crazy Wisdom. We're also on Stitcher or Spotify or whatever your podcast platform, your preferred plat platform is. Uh, I'm also starting to tweet in Spanish. I was trying to tweet in Portuguese and French, but I was prevented by the bureaucratic robots of Twitter. So that's an interesting thing that's about to come up is that bureaucracy is no longer limited to the mechanistic bureaucrat. Robots have got involved as well. I applied to a job at Salesforce uh, and was rejected by the robots. So that was funny. Uh, but so I'm tweeting in those languages. And uh, if you do speak those languages, I am going to start doing a lot more interviews in Portuguese, Spanish and French uh, with founders from all around the world creative people from all around the world, um, stressed people all over around the world, hippies all over the world. Uh, and so I'm going to be doing interviews in those. Uh, and I'm going to start by just tweeting. Uh, and hopefully I'll get the other languages, the accounts with other languages as well soon. But I got the one in Spanish. Um, and you can follow that one by finding at Crazy Wisdom ESP in Espanol. Si hablas español, bienvenidos a, a Crazy Wisdom ESP. Uh, tu puedes seguirme allá. And uh, yeah, hopefully you guys have a great day and, and enjoy this episode. Find me on Twitter. Find John Fine. Uh, he is very, very valuable. I've been following him now for a couple months and definitely getting a lot of insight into, into his world and, uh, and his multi-year experience uh, in understanding the nature of technology. So have a great day. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Uh, my guest here is John Fine. He is the managing partner at Firebrand Ventures. And we connected on Twitter uh, after you tweeted this tweet. When I first started mentoring and investing in startups, I thought helping meant dropping occasional knowledge bombs that would truly amaze people. I learned the best way to help is to get really good at listening, learning, and asking great questions. Uh, so I'm really interested in talking about this tweet and also uh, the um, 
rise of technology production outside of Silicon Valley because John Fine is in, is in Kansas City right now. So welcome to the show, John. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, really excited about this one. So what do you want to get into first? Uh, great questions, asking great questions, or rise of technology production outside of Silicon Valley? Yeah, maybe start with the questions. You know, it just, it seems like such a universal topic, you know. Um, yeah, and that tweet, you know, was just something I've learned over the years. And like anything, we typically learn it the hard way. And, you know, I think in the beginning of my investment career, I, uh, you know, I just, I wasn't that great of a mentor um, in some ways because, because I really did feel like, oh, well, you know, I have this experience, so I should be telling these founders what to do based on my experience um, rather than coming at it from a learning mindset. Um, I think so often there's that trap of the sort of founder investor or founder mentor dynamic where it's sort of teacher student and the teacher just assumes they're going to tell a bunch of stuff to the student and the student is magically going to assimilate this information and magically use it in an incredible way in, in their daily lives. And, you know, what, what I learned is that typically doesn't work very well. Certainly it doesn't work for all the interactions. And, you know, when I finally started to figure out how to ask questions and come at it from more of you know, like a Socratic approach, which is really what it is, is sure you still have sort of a mentor mentee relationship, but you sort of uncover the information through the asking and answering of, of questions. And so, and it's, and it's hard. It's I think it's really hard to figure out and learn sort of how to approach asking questions, asking the right questions. It's so easy to ask leading questions, for example, like, don't you think you should be doing this or you know, something like that, which is really not a question. So, um, so I, it's just been overall for me, it's just, it's just been a constant learning process of, of just, just how to get effective at doing that. And that way you're, I feel like that's really, um, that's really benefiting founders the most. Absolutely. That's really interesting because it's, in, it, as you were saying that it brought to mind, there's the Socratic method that has that as, as well, but there's also the beginner's mind uh, Zen type of thing mm -hmm. where, where we're constantly readapting to what's currently going on. Um, and if you think you know what's going on, you probably want to start thinking less because uh, you don't know what's going on. Nobody knows what's going on. Uh, and, and, you know, when you're talking to a founder, they're experiencing something that may generally like have some applications that you've experienced and that I've experienced that other people have experienced, but what they're dealing with is a completely set of new circumstances um, that requires uh, fresh, that's right. Fresh thinking on it. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because I would say one of the sort of life changing books that I read is, is Zen mind beginner's mind. And it just, it just, to me, it just like opened up this whole world of, of, uh, let's see, like not being so uh, extreme and not jumping to, you know, needing to label things and put things in neat, nice, organized buckets. Because as we all know, there's nothing neat or organized about life, <laughs> whether it's personal or business. And uh, it just, and again, just the learning mindset um, 
and, and sort of letting go of trying to control every single little thing. Um, it was really helpful. And I, I go back and I read that book, you know, again, from time to time, it's a great reminder. So this is something is interesting that's coming up in my mind, which is very personal for me because I've been finding as I get older, um, let's see if I can express this. As I get older, I become more realistic and less delusional. Uh, and then I, I realize that I have a lot of, I had a lot of delusions, probably still do, that um, that things will work out the way that I expect them to work out. Uh, and then I'm finding mm-hmm. as I get older, uh, they, uh, I'm realizing less and less that these, these things that I, the, the imagination that I have, which is great. I love imagining things, but then, um, the, whenever I try to actually, uh, um, create it, it always looks different. It's, it's never the same. And I wonder, do you, have you worked with a lot of fa- young founders versus older founders? And have you seen this pattern? Totally. Yeah. Uh, you know, so one of the things that, that we do, so, so a couple different aspects to what you said, um, w- most of the founders in our portfolio, and we have, we have 25 companies, uh, in our portfolio now from our first fund. And I would say most of them skew a little older. Um, we don't have a ton of founders in their twenties. Uh, I think, uh, the median age for founders in our portfolio is, is something like 33. And so, um, we have not done that on purpose. Um, these are just the founders we felt connected to the most and the highest conviction in. And I think a lot of that has, does have to do with sort of some of those, some of those sort of revelations that you talked about, which is, you know, there are some hard learnings that every, that we all have along the way that it's not going to go according to plan. Um, and, and more than, um, sort of optimizing for a nice, you know, smooth upward linear line to success is I, we found it so much more effective to, to build the sort of the mental tools and strategies to, to be able to withstand the ups and downs and, and roll with it and, and maintain sort of your um, perspective. And, and so you know, that we don't specifically, um, you know, necessarily, you know, target founders uh, specifically for those skills or, or ask them specifically about those experiences sometimes, sometimes, yeah, but they come up, they come up in the conversations um, in, invariably. And one of the things on the flip side that we tell founders, this is before we invest, is that we'll be meeting with them. One of the most important uh, touch points we have with founders when we're evaluating uh, their, their team and their business um, pre-investment is we go out to dinner with them. Mm-hmm. So uh, it doesn't matter where they are located. We'll, we'll go to them and we'll spend time with them sometime during that process face-to-face and they'll go out to dinner. And, and typically it's, it's oftentimes during that dinner that we'll say, look, like we're not the type of investor that is going to expect you to be perfect. That is going to expect, uh, you know, a smooth, you know, upward curve, you know, curve to success. We know there's going to be issues because we've been founders. We know there's going to be ups and downs. And so, first of all, we don't expect you to be perfect. We we expect you to make mistakes, and we expect that there's going to be crazy twists and turns in this journey that we're hopefully going to take together. And we're here to help you. 
through that. You know, and, and we're, our job is to support and guide. And if, if we've seen something that we think might help, we're going we're gonna to interject that. But ultimately, it's, it's their business and we're the supporting player. And when we say those things to most of the founders, you can visually see them relax. Mm-hmm. Like we can literally see like their shoulders kind of just slump down a little. And, and you can see like, fa- like their face relaxes and they're like, I don't have to be perfect. They know that they, they're, they're, you can tell they're kind of thinking, oh, they get it. Like they, they understand that, you know, it's, it's not going to be smooth sailing all the time. So, so actually that's a big part of our approach as investors. And again, I don't know that we could fully empathize with that having, you know, in, unless we, we were founders ourselves, which we all were. And so I just think that's just such a big part of, you know, it's like almost, and almost anything you can talk about for business, you can talk about for our personal lives too, mm-hmm. right? It's the same thing. You know, like we all, in the, when you're young, I don't know about you, but like, you know, when I was in my, my 20s, I was optimizing for that. Mm-hmm. It's like, how can I have a great life? Mm-hmm. How can I have like, check all these boxes and just have all these amazing experiences and try to avoid pain, mm-hmm. right? Like try to, try to avoid difficulty. And, you know, the older you get, you realize pain and difficulty are part of life. They are weaved into all these experiences. And it's not about avoiding it. It's about, you know, dealing with it and managing it. Uh, and so, um, and it's the journey. You never fully have it figured out. Like you're never going to, I don't think anyone's ever going to be a, an expert in that in their own lives. And I think it's the same on the business side. So it's, these are all just sort of values uh, that we hold. Um, as investors and also just as people. And I just think the people part is uh, the most important part about making investments. It's so interesting, particularly the part about being in your 20s. And I was reminded of it because I was thinking that 10 minutes ago or so that we as young people, they we have this kind of puppy dog energy that seems like we have this limitless amount of energy that's never going to go away. That's the, the experience of it. It feels like that. Uh, but then it starts to go away. Uh, you start getting tired, start, you know, start having health issues. And, and for some of us, it starts earlier. It, you know, for me, it was like 28. That's more around where, where I started getting health issues. And I think a lot of other people don't have that for a long time. Uh, but uh, but yeah, there's definitely like once you, once we turn into the thirties, it's like, Oh, okay. This, this, that, that, that isn't, uh, kind of a limitless thing and like people used to tell me that when I when I was younger like oh you're, you know you're gonna get older you're gonna get sick and you're gonna have all these problems and stuff like that and I was like oh what, what, that's not true uh you know that's what the the experiential kind of thing said there, there's no way to experience it before it happens um uh which is really interesting and that gets into the kind of the founder stuff the company and starting companies uh because there is no practice for starting a company you can't teach somebody how to start a company before they start a company it's like there's no way to know it except through experiential understanding. Um, yep. Yeah. And, and this gets into a question I have for you about founders. Have you noticed is part of your evaluation criteria for founders, whether they ask good questions or not? Yeah, I think that's, a, that's a big part of it. I think because we connect best with founders who really want to build a relationship and part of building that relationship is learning about each other and each other's experiences and backgrounds. And uh, so we just naturally connect um, with those founders who are curious, have that sort of magical 
uh, combination of, of curiosity and confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're confident in the abilities that they've built up to that point, but um, endlessly curious uh, and learning mm-hmm. uh, more. And, and that, and that includes learning about other people. So definitely, I think we are naturally just attracted to, to those types of founders um, who, yeah, and it's tricky, right? Like, like learning, learning is a, is a, is a lifelong and incredibly tricky process because especially as a founder, you know, you're sometimes you're surrounded by advisors and you're asking your advisors all these questions and they could be advisors, they could be board members, they could be investors, mentors, whatever. And which, which advice do I take? Who do I listen to? You can't listen to everybody. Uh, and so, and so again, like I, I, it's, it's this like very unique skill set that we look for, um, you know, a lot. Of, and, 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 and again, like maybe that's why our, some, you know, our, and on the whole, our founders skew older because as I think, as you do get older, you get better at filtering. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, you have, you have this, you know, a, a sort of increased ability to ask the right questions, but also filter and sort of um, tune your gut. Uh, we're big believers in trusting your gut because uh, we believe your gut is is much more than just you know random uh, guessing. You know, it's it's a, it's a natural intuition that's been built up over your experiences and your your conversations with people. And so, um, we really like connecting with founders like that. And and of course, the flip side is, you know, we're always going to interact with folks and and they're fa- and sometimes they're founders, sometimes they're just peers in the industry, whatever, who are, are relatively transactional and really not that interested in learning about other people. And, um, it's, it's not a good or bad, right? It just, it is what it is. Um, those are, are typically though, not, not the types of folks that we tend to surround ourselves with. That's super interesting. This gets into like, so as a person founding a company, they need to ask good questions, but they also need to make statements and uh, weave a story and create a story that can rally a team, rally, rally um, investors, rally customers. Um, so what is this balance between making statements and asking good questions? That's awesome. I love that. Um, I was literally having that conversation with one of our founders this morning mm-hmm. about the story. And I, I completely agree. Um, you know, basically what I was, I was, um, uh, trying to illustrate was, uh, the, the difference between, uh, a pitch and telling your story mm-hmm. and with the emphasis on, uh, you know, creating a really compelling narrative is a hell of a lot more interesting than just pitching somebody. Mm-hmm. And again, it's, it, it boils down to the, to the, the comparison of dialogue versus uh, transactional, mm-hmm. right? Relationship versus transactional. Um, and so, yes, I think it's always going to be important to come out and tell your story. I think the key is authenticity, right? Telling your story versus asking questions. You can, you can do both in a very authentic way. Mm-hmm. And if you, and if you do that, um, if you, if you can communicate your narrative uh, in an authentic way, by, you know, because we all have our story. We all have our journey that's brought us up to this point. And for founders, it's bringing you to a point where you saw a problem that you are hopefully obsessed with solving in a very unique way. 
And, and so sometimes you just have to dig a little and help the founders dig down to unearth that narrative that's really, really unique and compelling. And at the same time, uh, encourage them to continue to have that learning mindset um, because a big, you know, any conversation, any great conversation is two way and you want them to also to be very curious and asking questions um, during that same dialogue. And so, so again, I think that it's sort of that magical combination of being confident in what you've experienced up to this point, but also, you know, extremely curious about, about the future Mm -hmm. and about getting feedback um, and, you know, what your, your next, next steps are going to be. And so you, you, have you always been in Kansas city or? No, I'm actually from the East coast. So I've actually, I've, I have an interesting perspective because I've lived on both coasts. I grew up in Boston. And so I lived in Boston for 22 years and then I moved to Southern California and I lived in SoCal for 15 years. And now I've been in Kansas city for 13 years. Mm. So they're all, it's a fairly similar distribution between East coast, West coast, and then literally right in the middle. Like if you have a map of the continental United States and you put your finger right in the middle, not even knowing what you're on, you're going to be on Kansas city. So it's actually wonderfully centrally located. Um, And it's funny because uh, for example, a lot of our, our business partners are the limited partners in our funds are from the Kansas city area. And many of them have been here for generations so when I tell them I've been here for 13 years, I'm kind of like the new kid on the block. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we love it here. We're, we're very much dug in. What is, the, what is the startup scene there? Are there startups that are being created there? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we had, you know, so we had one uh, recently a fantastic uh, founder of a company called C2FO. Um, and they are, I'm, I'm going to, He's going to hate me for describing it this way because it's a vast oversimplification, but it's a, it's a huge uh, factoring marketplace, uh, mm-hmm. factoring for receivables. Uh, but they do it in a very unique way, in a very, um, very smart way. And uh, so they just raised a series. I forget what it was. It was probably a Series C or a Series D mm-hmm. uh, from SoftBank. They raised a, a $200 million round that just closed a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was... You know, it's funny because it's Kansas City, right? It's not, it's not San Francisco. And so I think that was the largest venture round uh, that uh, had been raised in Kansas City so far. But well, we've had some nice exits. Um, uh, there was a multi-billion dollar exit a few years ago uh, for a company that had been around for about 11 years. Uh, we had another company get acquired by um, Alibaba um, a few years ago, uh, which was a nine figure acquisition. We had another company raise a hundred million dollar round. Um, I think that was earlier this year. Uh, so things are happening. Um, it's nice to see. Um, I, I, I started engaging with the Kansas city started community in 2012 mm. and it was actually an interesting story because I, I previous micro when I lived in California, I was a part of five different startups, one of which I co-founded. And then after doing five startups back to back, I needed a break and I got a job with a, a healthcare company, which at the time was called Prescription Solutions. And I didn't know it at the time, but they hired me um, and I needed like a regular job <laughs> for a while. Like mm-hmm. I needed to not be working, you know, 80 to 100 hour weeks. 
So what I thought was going to be a normal job two weeks in, they handed me this hundred million dollar budget and said, we need you to go to Kansas city and spin up this new operation from zero to 1500 employees and about $2 billion a year in revenue. Wow. And I was like, okay, um, let's do it. So, so I jumped in. It was, I was incredibly lucky uh, to have that opportunity because I'd never scaled an operation of that size before. And so it, 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 we did it. It took us four years. We actually went live nine months into that program. So I, when I first came to Kansas city, it was in 2005 and there wasn't much happening in the startup scene at that, at that point. And I would, had just joined this big company. So I really wasn't part of the startup community. Um, all I knew was I walked into this shell of this 300,000 square foot building in Overland Park, Kansas, which is just South of Kansas city. And I had to somehow make this operation go live, which, which included literally like physically building out the building. And then we had to do it in nine months uh, for our first phase. And so that was, that was like my introduction to Kansas city. And so I just started traveling out here every week by necessity. Um, and we did it. We went, we went live on time nine months in after four years, we had built up this huge, you know, multi-billion dollar operation, incredible experience, tons of mistakes along the way, tons of learnings, um, but along the way, I really grew to love Kansas City um, all my time coming here. So I actually relocated my family here about a year in to that project in 2006. Mm. And uh, I, that, that company ended up getting acquired by United Health Group. And so par- that part of my journey was learning that, hey, this like formerly, and there's nothing against United Health Group, it's, you know, it built up an incredible business, but as sort of someone with an entrepreneurial mindset, once you become part of this, you know, huge, huge corporation, it doesn't feel entrepreneurial anymore. Mm. And so I, I realized a few years after that, I really have to get back to the startup community. And so by 2012, I really just started showing up. I just started showing up to startup events. It's actually, I love um, circular stories, mm. how just things come full circle. And that's happened several times in my career. And one of the times it's happened was uh, I'd reached out to Brad Feld online while I was still working for United and I was kind of miserable. And I was probably depressed at the time because I just didn't enjoy what I was doing. I didn't find meaning in what I was doing, um, but I didn't know what else to do. And so I reached out to Brad and I was, and I was, I just like online, I was just like, look, here's, here's my deal. You know, I'm a startup guy. I've worked for five startups, but I'm miserable, you know, working for this big company. Um, and you know, who do you know in Kansas city? I knew that Brad had ties to the coffin foundation and other folks in KC. And he said, start with these, these people. And, and I did. And so I just started like showing up to startup events in the evenings while I was still working for United managing these multi-billion dollar projects and I just built on my network. And then one thing led to another and someone reached back out to Brad and also David Cohen at Techstars and said, Hey, you should look at this guy to launch your new Techstars accelerator that you're starting uh, next year. And, and they did. And, and that's how I ended up joining Techstars. And then Brad and David became like my top two mentors. Mm. So uh, that was sort of the story of me coming to Kansas city sort of, you know, figuring out where I fit in, in the startup community and then ultimately, you know, joining Techstars. And then, um, you know, three years after I joined Techstars and ran three programs for them is when I launched Firebrand. Mm. So this is really interesting because 
I want to talk about the, 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 the rise of production and technology outside of Silicon Valley. And a lot of people seem to have this kind of either or mentality of it's like, uh, it's either Silicon Valley or it's the rise of the rest, but it That's seems right. that it's both, uh, cause it's, Silicon Valley will remain dominant for a long time. But, um, it seems to be that the barriers around capital and the barriers around work and the barriers about innovation now no longer limited by a geographical space. Would you agree? Spot on, mm. spot on. Yeah, I love the way you put that. And because I phrase it the same way, mm. the way I put it is the Bay Area is an incredible center for innovation. It's going to be that way for a very long time. And <laughs> the greater Midwest is an incredible opportunity for both founders and investors. And, and, and that's, that's the, you know, the, uh, the key part of our thesis behind our entire investment strategy is, and I saw that firsthand when I was at Techstars. And so my job as managing director of this Techstars program in Kansas City was, let's attract, you know, the best possible founders we can from all over the world and, and bring them to Kansas City for this program for 90 days, help them with their businesses, which oftentimes, especially towards the end of the program, means helping them get funded. Mm -hmm. And most of them, vast majority of them, could not raise any capital, even though they're very fundable, um, not just in Kansas City, in the entire Midwest region. And they would, many of them would have to go to the coasts, which often meant them moving to the coasts. Mm -hmm. So we were losing great businesses and founders who often originated between the coasts. And so I saw this happen year after year after year. And so finally it was like, all right, we got to... <laughs> We got to do something about this because first of all, it's, it's a great investment opportunity. And second of all, um, we need to do our part to build up these ecosystems, right? Like these, these ecosystems can't keep losing great founders. Uh, and so that's, so I saw it firsthand and um, that was the best way to, to sort of figure it out and realize the opportunity. And now, you know, you have, you know, you have Chicago, Boulder, Austin, those are probably, you know, the big three mm -hmm. in the midsection of the U.S. But you also have some amazing other, other communities. Um, in addition to Kansas City, you know, Columbus is super strong, Indianapolis, Cincinnati, Detroit, Minneapolis, um, the list goes on. And so, um, you know, I had been in those communities while I was recruiting for my Techstars program. And so it wasn't a big leap to go from that. Plus, I had already built up you know, a network of, of fellow VCs that to, to put around that program. And so to transition from that to creating a seed fund that was focused on what we call the greater Midwest, which was really just a big midsection of, of the country, um, it just sort of was a natural um, way for us to, to invest in these founders and these communities. Mm. So this is a very interesting question. I think this question is good for you because it's, what is the nature of an ecosystem in and can that the nature of an ecosystem be replicated online and what is the necessity of being in person for an ecosystem showing up is so important um you know i think you know an ecosystem to me is a very high touch um community that requires some really key elements showing up and participating on a regular basis. Um, you know, and those, uh, and obviously, you know, it's whole thing is should be led by the entrepreneurs. I feel like if a startup community is attempted to be led by sort of 
non-entrepreneurs. Uh, so it might be nonprofits or community supporting organizations are trying to take the lead. I don't think that's, it might move it forward a little bit. I don't think it's going to move the needle in long run versus entrepreneurs really taking the lead on helping to organize and galvanize a community. And then you have, of course, investors, um, you have the you know, talent feeders like universities, you have corporations who, who play an incredibly important role. Um, some communities have done you know, probably a more effective job than others uh, in engaging corporations, but that's a very common sort of uh, gap, I would say, in, in sort of uh, non-Bay Area uh, startup communities. Mm. Um, and so those are just some of the key, key elements, but I feel like they all have to show up on a regular basis, they all have to be in sync. They can't be battling each other. There can't be agendas other than wanting to build an amazing startup community that becomes um, self-sustaining and this virtuous cycle of building up companies, those companies having favorable outcomes, and then the results of those favorable outcomes, whether it's capital or talent and experience being fed back into those communities they can build and build and build. Um, And then, you know, it's, uh, that's of course, because that's, that's ultimately the goal, but that's a, you know, probably a 20 to 25 year mm. cycle. And so you have to have people who are in this for the long run. And also you can't have gatekeepers. So, you know, sometimes that's part of someone's agenda mm. is, is they, they see themselves as I'm the gatekeeper for this community. I decide who's going to be in and who's not going to be in. Mm. Well, that's not going to work. You have to be super inclusive and let everybody in. And so, uh, those are some of the things that I've seen in other communities. And the nice thing about my job is I have the luxury of traveling to places like, like Austin and Boulder and Chicago, which are fairly mature startup ecosystems that have done some really great things. And sometimes you can sort of take elements of those and bring them back to other smaller communities and say, Hey, have you thought of this? Have you thought of this? Have you talked to these people? Um, in you know wherever it is in Austin, let's say, uh, because they might have some great ideas for you. And and the, the great thing about the Midwest is one of the great things. In addition to uh, there's so many incredible, compelling reasons to to start and grow a business here. Not the least of which is cost of living, mm. but um, which has become a, a bigger and bigger advantage as you know obviously costs have risen on the coasts, but also uh, just the sort of Midwest culture of helpfulness. Mm. Um, and you know, when we brought our founders to Kansas City um, it, for our Techstars programs, they would all say the same thing because the vast majority of them had never been to Kansas City and sometimes any Midwestern city. And the first things out of their mouths when they come to the program is, I can't believe how nice everybody is <laughs> in this city. Like my cab driver was nice. This guy in the street was nice. Like this person behind the counter at the coffee shop was nice. like everybody that comes to And that is part of the, the culture. And it's not a fake niceness. Like sometimes you see it's, it's, it's just an authentic niceness and that's how people like to act. And so um, you have these real strengths um, of these communities, which I think have more and more people are realizing and especially like you say, you said before, sort of the, the democratization of technology and remote workers mm-hmm. um, has really has really helped as well. And so we're we're super excited. The way I sometimes describe it is we feel like we're as excited about the greater Midwest now as like, you know, the early VCs were about Silicon Valley in the 70s. Yeah. 
Like that, that's honestly how we feel. That's really cool. Uh, and, and there's, I have another question about the ecosystem thing, because as you said, this, the companies that do well there then need to reinvest. So a company like C2FO, um, they need to take all those learnings and it's the learnings. That's the most important thing, right? Yes. Or, is, or is it the capital that they, that they create and then reinvest? It's both. Mm. I think, I think the capital is really important too. Mm. Um, you want, you want to spin off, you want to spin off talent, experience and capital, mm. all, all, all of them. And so I'll give an example, like even now, um, I'll, I'll throw out a plug for C2FO's CEO. His name is Sandy Kemper and he's very well known in this community. He's done some incredible things in his career and he's an open book. So, you know, I've had him come in, like we held our, um, our annual meeting last year in Kansas City and we invited all of our CEOs to come to our annual meeting for our fund. And so we did sort of a CEO summit during the day and part of the CEO summit was a fireside chat with Sandy. And so he, and he is incredible even now about, about giving back, helping founders, you know, everything that he's sort of learned along the way, he's already doing that. And so um, I don't think you have to wait until you have a billion dollar plus exit um, to, to benefit the community. I think if we can just continue to sort of share the knowledge along the way and help founders, um, you know, I think it's a huge help. And that, so that's, that's the question because a lot of the knowledge, you know, like he's, he's going and going, leading these uh, startup events or kind of sharing his knowledge. But now like with a podcast, we're also sharing that knowledge to, to my, my audience. Uh, and so this is a really interesting question because I want to figure out how much of that can be done remotely. Cause what I, what I love to see, yeah. I'll, I'll explain a little bit of my story. Uh, so the first company that I started was actually, I was in Brazil um, I had started started a travel business, uh, which didn't work out that well. But then, in the process, of that met a Brazilian guy who had been basically trained by uh, fifty uh, by five hundred startups, um, and they're and they're going into these different areas, urban areas around the world, and you know, telling them all about startups and and saying this. And he had been trained by that kind of th- philosophy, but because he spoke English, he had access to you know Peter Thiel's writings. He had access to all this mm-hmm. different stuff, um, and so. Uh, he had a level of knowledge about equity that, you know, very other people, few, few people in Brazil didn't understand that, uh, but he understood it because he was able to access this information. So I'm wondering how much of that is in person and really getting that intimacy of having those in-person reactions and how much of it is just this learning um, or yeah. nice thing. Great, great question. You know, it's, to me, it's both. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it always needs to be both because, you know, I am like this sort of the current crop of, of VCs today who, you know, maybe, you know, started their first fund, let's say sometime in the last mm, 10 years, 10 to 12 years, we are all beneficiaries of the VCs that came before us and shared that knowledge. Mm. Right. So the, you know, the, the folks who started blogging about it early, like, like Mark Suster and Fred Wilson and Brad Feld, um, you know, we're all beneficiaries of, of that. And I've learned a ton through that. I don't think you can only have that to build an ecosystem, but I think it's incredibly, incredibly important. So whenever I um, participate in startup events, for example, I, I did one in Kansas City um, a few months ago, I was on an investor panel and, you know, founders are always asking sort of, how do I get more information about this? 
you know, what are some great blogs or some great podcasts. I think those play an incredibly important role towards sort of educating uh, anybody, you know, founders, investors, community supporters on sort of, you know, what, what are the best practices, right? What is, what are sort of the standards for, you know, for fundraising, for pitching VCs, for pitch decks, uh, for making intros, you know, it could be anything. Uh, I think all that plays an incredibly important role in sort of leveling up an ecosystem. And then you also have to have the boots on the ground, right? Like you have to have those, those key players that I was mentioning before, um, you know, corporations, VCs, mentors, advisors, founders, uh, universities um, that are also sort of on, a, on, a, on an ongoing basis interacting with each other and, um, and helping to build up that ecosystem. Mm. That's really interesting. Um, and you guys are focused on the greater Midwest, right? Yep. The vast majority of our investments are in a territory that goes from 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 south to north, Austin to Minneapolis, uh-huh. and then over from Boulder to Columbus, Ohio. So when you look at that on a map, it's a big big swath of the country. So we just decided, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna just call that the Greater Midwest, and that's gonna be our main territory. Uh-huh. And you're flying to all these cities, all these cities to have dinner with founders and really and check them out. Yeah, we are. It's great, um, and that's really cool. And then. Do you have any insight into international? Like, would you ever go down to Mexico or up to Canada? Yeah. Uh, so we decided not to do that with our first fund, uh, but we're going to start investing out of our second fund next year. <clears throat> and we're going to be more opportunistic um, in places like occasionally Boston and New York, probably. Um, they will still be outliers to our, you know, geographic thesis. Um, but that'll also include a couple of places in Canada. I think there's just some places in Canada, you know, you just can't ignore anymore. They're just such incredibly strong communities. Mm. Uh, Toronto is one that I really am looking forward to engaging with. Um, so yeah, we're going to be a little bit more opportunistic with our second fund, but still with our core, core focus in the middle of the country. That's really cool. And when did you guys start this fund? When did, when did we start the first fund? Yeah. We started, um, I started raising it. It was an interesting story because when I transitioned out of Techstars and started raising Firebrand, um, I hadn't raised a dollar. So I just like took a leap of faith and just sort of forced myself to, to raise this fund or, or fail. Um, and I didn't know anybody in the high net worth community. Uh-huh. So I started raising it in August of 2016 without having raised $1 or no, knowing anybody in that community. And I just, started with a couple of intros and went from person to person. And our, our initial goal was to raise a little $7 million fund. And uh, it caught on in Kansas City, uh, fortunately. And I got tremendous support um, from the local community here. And, and we got up to a little under 18 million uh, and closed it. Hmm. Interesting. And so being on both sides, on both the raising money as a founder and raising money from LPs, from uh, for those of my listeners who don't know what an LP, it's the people who invest in uh, uh, in venture capital firms in order for the venture cap- capital firms to then reinvest it in founders. So being on both sides of those tables, um, what are the similarities and what are the differences between raising money for those both of those things? Yeah, I was kind of shocked at how similar they were. Being a founder is much harder, yeah. um, but you know, 
uh, being a, an emerging fund manager isn't easy. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, especially when, you know, it's, it's one thing, I guess, you know, there's different experiences, right? I think there's some fund managers do have the experience, whether they've built up, you know, they're already part of a, a network where there's basically people waiting to write them checks and, mm-hmm. and be become LPs in their fund. Um, but, uh, for, you know, for me, it was, it was somewhat of a grind early on and, and I had to like all of a sudden take my own medicine, right? Like I had to, I had to do these things that I've been telling founders to do, um, or, you know, advising them to do. Uh, and you know, one, one first example was initially like my pitch deck was horrible. It was like, I, it was so hard and I was so surprised at how hard it was to, to boil down all of these messages that I wanted to put out there into a really concise, compelling pitch deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, and then, you know, so that was definitely one similarity of just creating my narrative, um, you know, because just like a startup has to have you know, its own, you know, unique, compelling story. Um, so does a fund. And <clears throat> so that was sort of an eye opener. It's like, wow, this is, this is taking me back to my founder days. Uh, and then, you know, I think, you know, rejection, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're always going to get rejection. You're going to get a lot of no's. Um, and sort of dealing with that and, and learning the, I guess, you know, I don't want to say the right way cause that's kind of a label, but, you know, managing those in a professional way, um, you know, not burning bridges, sort of, you know, maintaining relationships, building new ones. Um, a lot of similarities, a lot of similarities. Um, obviously raising a fund generally, generally takes longer than raising a round. I think for most fund managers, um, and then, you know, there's, there, there are things that, that are just very, very different. Um, you know, typically um, venture teams are relatively small, especially in the beginning um, versus, you know, once you raise, you know, a decent sized round as a startup, you really need to start hiring um, and building a team, especially when you get to series A. And, you know, that's, that, that is an overhead, you know, and a stress that uh, most fund managers don't, have to deal with a lot mm. uh, is just is just building building a larger team. You still have to build a world class team, but I, I think that part is is very different. And then I I would say just the overall stress level. And it's not to say that <clears throat> I'm not under a lot of stress. I am, but um, I think founders are under more stress. Mm. Um, and uh, it's it's just a different, more difficult road um, as a founder and. Uh, but I was surprised like how many, how many similarities there were, um, in that journey. And, and, you know, you are in a lot of respects, a founder, if you create a new fund yourself, um, you're starting this new business, but again, it's just a different dynamic, um, than, than grinding it out every day as a founder. So I want to ask two more questions. Uh, I think we have another enough time for two more questions. The second question will be uh, just like um, shouting out to any more companies like CFO, C2FO that, that, uh, that you want to uh, kind of uh, put out there uh, uh, for them. Uh, so keep that in the back of your mind. But the, the first question is, um, what, is the relation, what is the role of relationships in business? You know, business is relationships. It's everything. Um, you know, I've, I've heard that from my mentors for years and in the beginning, I may not have believed them fully. It's like, yeah, yeah, okay. Like relationships, everybody says that. It's totally cliche. 
it probably wasn't until I joined Techstars that I really grasped that concept. And it, and, and it doesn't take, and it's, it's not that hard. Like, you know, some people might feel like introverted and it's difficult for them to meet new people and form new relationships. Um, but, you know, most of these, it's not like you're in this crowded room and you're trying to like meet all these new people and, and hit it off with them. You know, most of the time you're in one-on-one -on -one meetings and coffee shops mm -hmm. and just getting to know each other. And, and, you know, each, each person's telling their story. And, and so to me, that's, it's everything. Uh, it doesn't matter what, um, you know, what, what role the person is, you know, we like to surround ourselves with great people and that includes great investors that we're co-investing with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, and so part of that process is getting to know them and letting them get to know us. Um, to me, it's, uh, and between us and the founders, the relationship part is so, so incredibly important um, to create before the check is written mm -hmm. and also to start, to start uh, creating that foundation of trust before the first check is written. Mm -hmm. I think that's incredibly important because ultimately, you know, it, you know, trust is, is of course, you know, trust and communication, you know, the two sort of pillars of any great relationship. Mm -hmm. And um, we, we desperately, desperately want our founders to share bad news with us because we want to help them <laughs> mm -hmm. and we can't help them if, if we don't know what they're struggling with. And, but they have to trust us to do that and we have to earn that trust. Mm -hmm. And the only way you earn that is by building a strong relationship. And part of that is us being vulnerable, right? Like we're, we're not, you know, we're, we're never going to tell founders we have it all figured out. We're never going to act like we never we don't make mistakes. Um, you know, it's, it's a two way street. And so I think, you know, I think us being, having previously been founders and gone through the journey helps a little bit. I think what helps even more is just us being ourselves mm -hmm. and just sort of, you know, wearing a heart on our sleeve and be like this, what you see is what you get. And, you know, we're here to help and let us prove that to you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just uh, such a cornerstone of, of great relationships. That brings to mind something I want to just put out there too, which is I asked a question on Twitter, what is what does integrity mean to you? And then someone answered with, um, it means being, explaining clearly to the world where you stand, both to your friends, your enemies, and anyone else, uh, and just standing there and just being totally, totally clear with it. And a lot of times I, I got this impression when I was first starting was that I need to hide and, you know, like uh, manipulate and do all these different things in order to, to, to play the, the role the right. And now I'm like, none of that matters. It's just, I just need to find out what my conviction is like you're saying and, 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 and just present that to the world and, and, and not really let, you know, be open to other, what other people say, but kind of just kind of, you know, move into the world and letting everyone know this is where I'm at. Like you, you can, you can be where you are. I'm, and I have no problem with that, but this is where I'm at. Um, and so, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's incredibly endearing, mm. right? Like it's when, you know, the, um, there's this uh, show in uh, Showtime called Billions, huh. and um, I'm addicted to Billions. Like uh, I guess a lot of a lot of people in our industry. Yeah. Um, and it, I think it was one of the characters was telling one of the other characters, you know, one way to sort of en enable other people to let their guard down is not to do a favor for them, but to ask them for a favor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's the same thing. It's like asking for help. And I think being authentic and not caring about people judging you 
which is very hard. It's a very hard thing to, to get to a place um, where, where you're comfortable with that and open. Um, but once you are, if, as long as you're surrounding yourself with the right people, um, you know, they're going to help you and, and, they, and they will become sort of even more connected to you um, if you're vulnerable. And the tricky part to that is not everyone's like that. Mm-hmm. There aren't, you know, not all investors are like that. Some investors are very judgmental. Uh, people are people, right? If you have a community of thousands and thousands of people, there's going to be some in that group that are going to be not great. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that's the tricky part for founders is learning, oh, we can trust these guys. Like, <clears throat> they're not going to screw us over. They're going to help us. And I just think that's such a key part of that dynamic. Mm-hmm. Very well said. Um, and so in a couple minutes left, we, you know, you talked about C2FO. Uh, are there any of the companies that you've recently invested in that you're really excited about that you want to put the word out um, that they're, these guys are doing interesting things and where are they? Thank you. Yeah, there's one that's been uh, getting uh, quite a bit of uh, press these days because they recently uh, uh, closed their Series C. Mm. Uh, it's uh, Scale Factor in Austin is doing incredibly well. Um, I met their CEO, Kurt, um, when he was going through the Techstars Austin program in 2017. Mm. And the coolest part is to see Kurt <clears throat> grow. I mean, he was already a great entrepreneur. He He started a business in I think it was, I could be getting this wrong. I think it was a landscaping business mm. in, in high school. He had 17 employees while he was still in high school. Mm. <laughs> this guy's an entrepreneur. So it's not like he wasn't an entrepreneur before, but to watch him grow from the time that we initially met over you know, the next two and a half plus years, even in that span of time has been phenomenal. And now they have like, close to 200 employees and they're doing remarkably well. Um, one of our, uh, other companies I'll give a shout out to, uh, actually two Chicago companies. One, uh, is called the mint and they are a, um, hotel style housekeeping service for uh, multi-tenant buildings. The, the, the thing that we loved about them is they don't use, um, contractors. They don't, they don't, they don't 1099 their house cleaners. Everyone's an employee. And we actually loved that sort of, you know, contrarian approach. And we felt like it really helped to, you know, build their brand and their quality of service. And the execution they have shown is just off the charts. Mm. Um, they're, they're in tens of thousands of units only there. And they're less than two years into the market since mm. they launched. Mm. They're doing incredibly well. They're in Chicago. And then we have another uh, company in Chicago called Crafty, which is a great story. Four guys who went to college together. Um, they thought it'd be fun to have a, a business that involved selling kegs to companies, <laughs> right? If you're, if you're in your early 20s, that sounds yeah. like an awesome business. Uh, and they started doing that. And then their customers started asking for coffee. Huh. Can you supply coffee? And then their customers started asking for other beverages and other food. And so they built this up this business organically into sort of this full end-to-end uh, kitchen management business. Um, and it's called Crafty. And they start out in Chicago, built a really good base there, have expanded to the Bay Area, uh, and then they're going to be also expanding to New York. And again, just amazing execution by a relatively young founding team, um, sort of wise beyond their years type founding team. They've just been amazing. So those are just a few um, of the ones we have in our portfolio we're super excited about. It's hard to pick, you know, which one we have 25. Uh And so... uh, 
those are just some of the ones that, that immediately jump out. We have so many others. That's cool. Well, uh, thank you for the show. And, and how can people find out more about uh, uh, Firebrand VC if they want to check you guys out? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so the Firebrand Ventures website is uh, firebrandvc.com. Uh, we have a ton of information up there, including our values. Um, so we have a values page that we feel really strongly about. And then uh, they can find out more about me uh, through my Twitter account is probably the best way. And my Twitter handle is, is at John Fine, which is J-O-H-N-F-E-I-N. Mm, cool. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks a lot, Stuart. I had a great time. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Hope you come find me on Twitter for at Stuart Alsop III. Um, I'll also be tweeting in Spanish at Crazy Wisdom ESP, and further down the long line, doing more interviews in those languages uh, about the same topics. I've been doing interviews in English, and yeah, so come follow, find me there. I'm releasing episodes every Monday and Friday. Uh, I've got like 40 or 50 episodes that I haven't been able to publish. Um, I love doing these interviews so much that I'm just doing a lot of the interviews. Uh, and so I am going to start publishing more. Probably I'll add another day Wednesday. Um, uh, but you can also just look out for random times of content uh, where I'll be publishing episodes that I think are really valuable at that time. And so if you are interested in that, find us on Crazy Wisdom on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, any of those things. You can also find me on YouTube where I'm publishing uh, breathwork sessions uh, that I'm doing throughout the day. And also, if you're interested in those breathwork sessions, it's all free for now. Um, you can come send me a message on Twitter at Stuart Alsop III. Have a great day.